I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. On Friday, February 16th, 2018, 20-year-old Ryan Stuka finished working at Sun Peak Ski Resort in British Columbia, Canada. After work, he went home and later went to a silent disco at one of the local pubs. Later that same night, he would end up at a house not far from the pub, hanging out and drinking with some friends and roommates until the early hours of Saturday, February 17th. Sometime around 2 a.m., Ryan looked to be leaving the party, but would seemingly vanish without a trace into the snowy abyss of Sun Peaks. In this fourth episode, I talked to Corporal Jennifer Sparks, a missing persons investigator from the RCMP, and I continue my talk with editor of Sun Peaks Independent News, Gene Strong, and Heather about what may have happened to Ryan. You're listening to a podcast for the missing with me, Tyler Hooper. Absolutely every avenue available to us, and I think what is so difficult there is I think there tends to be a perception in the public and I've certainly heard this portrayed by the media that somebody knows something I've heard that said quite frequently that somebody must know something somebody always knows something and in my time of doing this work I have really come to believe that that is not the case. I really do believe that in a large number of our unsolved cases, uh, particularly these these unknowns, no one knows anything more than what they've already told us. And that's a difficult thing to to accept, but I really do think that's the case. And it's it's a very helpless and, and frustrating feeling. As I mentioned in the last episode... I spoke to the RCMP as I wanted to get a policing perspective to missing persons cases and some context for the number of cases in the area Ryan went missing. The RCMP was nice enough to connect me with Corporal Jennifer Sparks. She's been with the RCMP for 20 years and has spent the last eight years specializing in missing persons. Sparks is the Southeast District Missing Persons Coordinator, which means she oversees all missing persons cases in the Southeast interior of British Columbia. 
This includes 45 detachments and approximately 900 officers. In Sparks' region, they receive about 3,000 missing persons cases a year. Of those cases, only 0.2% of those remain unsolved. So I think, you know, that figure kind of puts it in perspective uh, with with uh, respect to how many, the volume of, of reports that we receive. And then to give it a little bit more perspective in terms of what causes people to go missing. Um, Another number that we've determined over several years of collecting data is of the 3,000 plus reports that we receive each year, the total percentage of people who are not found and foul play is suspected as the reason for their disappearance would be 0.02%. So a very, very small number. And typically that would be less than, than one person per year in our district. In terms of the long-term outstanding missing person cases in our district, we have 253 adult males, 43 adult females, 20 under 18 males, and 7 under 18 females. And these are all of our cases dating back to 1950, which is the earliest that we have record of. In terms of demographics for those, uh, I can tell you that 86% are male, so 86% of all of our long-term missing persons in Southeast District, and 90% are Caucasian, uh, sorry, 90% of the total. So um, pretty high numbers there that that I, I find sometimes that people are surprised to hear. As we've seen over the last few episodes, missing persons cases are undoubtedly tough on family, friends, and a community. But Sparks points out that these cases, although undoubtedly hardest on family and friends, are also hard on the officers who investigate them as well. We don't have a lot of investigators that specialize in missing person investigations, so it is something that all investigators need to be prepared to deal with and respond to. Uh, because the, the first initial response is, is always frontline. Um, and, and often that's, most often that's, that's where our investigations begin and end. Um, but ideally, the qualities that would be most beneficial in investigating missing persons cases, uh, definitely excellent judgment and an ability to assess information um, and evaluate risk on an ongoing basis, and this, this needs to be done uh, fluidly and, and for each case independently. Um, attention to detail would certainly be a, a, an asset, a huge asset, and really high, high resilience, and this is more when we're, we start talking about the long-term cases and our, and our cases that don't get resolved. It really does take a high degree of resilience as an officer uh, to not only continue trying to move that case forward um, when you're just coming up against one dead end after another, uh, but also to continue to um, maintain contact with the family when you consistently have no no news to report um, that really does require a high degree of resilience to keep moving forward, knowing that there never may be a resolution. I mean, I don't think that 
many of us or any of us, police or non-police, can think of a worse situation than not knowing what happened to a family member, friend, or loved one. It, almost everybody that I've ever spoken to who's, who's directly dealt with that experience um, has said it would be better to know the worst than to not know anything at all. So it's really most of our worst nightmare. And I don't think that's any different whether, uh, whether you're a police officer or not. Um, so there's no question that there, there is an emotional pull. Um, the challenge is to separate the investigation from, from an officer's personal life. And, and I think, and what I have seen in my experience is that the toll is felt more outside of the investigation uh, in an officer's personal life rather than becoming a factor in the investigation. Um, the, the balancing act can be very difficult as these investigations are all consuming. Um, but in my experience, uh, police officers are very good at continuing to put their best foot forward and continuing to respond not just in missing persons, but, but in any situations, despite the worst circumstances. Um, that's one of the things that makes me so proud to be in policing. However, there's, there's a toll on, on the personal side that, um, that generally most people don't see. As we've heard in previous episodes on this podcast, the disappearance of Ryan baffled search and rescue family and friends. Because Ryan's case is still open, the police can't comment on specific aspects of an investigation. But here is what Sparks could tell me about Ryan's case. There's a reason these cases are unsolved. Uh, if, if they weren't very challenging investigations, they would be solved. And as investigators, um, that's always our goal, is to solve whatever case we're working on. So in long-term missing person cases... Uh, where where we get to a point where the majority of our cases are unsolved and will remain unsolved, it's it's very very challenging and very frustrating. Um, specifically in particularly in those cases where we really do not have a theory that stands out as what most likely happened to that person. So that's probably about 20% of our long-term missing person cases. Um, approximately 10, 11% of them are, are foul play suspected where we generally have an idea of what happened. Um, another 60, 70%, we, we do have a pretty strong theory as to what happened. We just haven't located the person and their remains. But there's another 20% that are complete unknowns and we really, really have no idea um, despite trying absolutely every avenue available to us. And I think what is so difficult there is I think there tends to be a perception in the public, and I've certainly heard this portrayed by the media, that somebody knows something. I, I've heard that said quite frequently, that somebody must know something, somebody always knows something. And in my time of doing this work, I have really come to believe that that is not the case. I really do believe that in a large number of our unsolved cases, uh, particularly these, these unknowns, no one knows anything more than what they've already told us. Um, and that's a difficult thing to, to accept, but 
I really do think that's the case. And it's, it's a very helpless and, and frustrating feeling. From our perspective as, as the police investigators, um, it is still one of the, the most difficult things to imagine. Um, it just, you know, it's everybody's worst nightmare, really having no idea what happened to somebody. Um, and unfortunately, Ryan's case is one that, that falls into those approximately 20% that I, that I mentioned to you, that we really do not know what happened to Ryan. And we would wish for nothing more than to be able to have information that could that could help us find Ryan and and bring him back together with his family. Sparks told me that if anyone knows anything about Ryan's disappearance, they should report it to the police or anonymously to Crime Stoppers. They look into every tip they get. So as we've seen from Corporal Sparks, even the RCMP are mystified by Ryan's disappearance. I talked to the editor of Sun Peaks Independent News, Gene Strong, in episode two about the town of Sun Peaks. Our conversation spilled over into the theories about what could have happened to Ryan. I think there's a few theories that people within Sun Peaks kind of fall into different camps on, into what they believe happened. I think one theory is that when Ryan was walking home, he was hit by a car and people have been hit by drunk drivers within the resort before and was either tossed into a snowbank, which I think is unlikely because you would have found him, found his body, or someone hit him and panicked and dumped his body somewhere else, like down the valley or something. I don't personally believe that one super strongly because I think even with the snow that night, there would have been some sort of clue that that happened. For example, he was wearing a hat Maybe a pack got knocked off or a shoe or there was some blood in the snow somewhere. Another theory is that I think Heather and I can both say for sure that we know there were drugs at that party that night and maybe he overdosed. It wouldn't be the first time in our province that someone has overdosed and gotten themselves in a difficult situation at a party. And some people think that he overdosed and those that he were with panicked in some way and hid his body or disposed of it. I think the other main theory is that Ryan went off, um, made a mistake, walked up in the woods or down into the creek or down into the gully into that creek and is still there. That's the one that I personally would lean towards the most strongly just because it seems the most logical to me that we have no evidence of the other two happening. I also know many of the people who were at the party that night and don't personally believe that they would ever do something like that. We have a a very caring community in Sun Peaks, and when things go wrong, people haven't seemed to shy away from calling for help, so I don't see why that night would be any different. And I know there's been lots of cases in other places in the world of people who have gone missing and been missing for years and years, and then their bodies are found or their remains are found not far from home, in a tricky area, maybe under a bush, up a tree, washed down farther in the creek, wherever, and they're just difficult to find because the bush is so thick. Not having been to Sun Peaks before, I was curious just how far the party house was from Ryan's place. And according to Jean, it was a walk that would not take more than a few minutes, even in the snow. 
the house where they were partying that night is across a bit of a gully and a creek from the house where Ryan and his friends were living for the winter. And there's really two routes that they would have taken home around either end of the street. One goes up to the east and then loops back down to the house where they were living. And the other one goes to the very west end of Burfield Drive. They would have crossed a very well-made permanent bridge across the, the creek and then they could walk to their house from there. Either way would take maybe five or ten minutes, but both of those routes are dimly lit, especially in the winter, and neither of them have sidewalks. So they would have been walking on the road, and we know that that night it was snowing a lot. If you had gone, if you'd crossed the street from the party where the house was happening and gone up the mountain, you would be up in the mountain in the woods, and it's a very quiet area of the mountain. There's one ski run there that connects one mountain to the other, and that's really it, and then there's a lot of forest. If he had gone behind the house instead of crossing the street, that's where the gully and the creek is. Or if he had gone to the west end of the street and not crossed the bridge, there's a decommissioned forestry road there, which you can't drive on anymore, but acts as a walking trail really year-round for locals to walk down. And that goes way off in the bush. In a strange turn of events, I lived in the house that Ryan was renting long after he went missing. So I can say with quite a bit of certainty that I would take the road up to the east and loop around. There's a, a small trail that's been built by the municipality that goes behind the mailboxes so you're not on the road for the entire time. And then that trail pops out pretty much exactly at the house where they were renting was. And that would be the shortest route and the easiest route to get back from where that party was. I think that walk would take about five or ten minutes. I think it would be pretty hard to get lost because you walk up to the end of the street he was on, like the east end, turn left, and then turn left again, and you're almost exactly at the house. It's not very far at all if you were to go that route. But like I said, the second that you are off those trails or in the bushes. The bush is thick. There's a lot of underbush. A lot of it hasn't been cleared out. And the snow was deep. We had a lot of snow that winter and it was really cold that night. So should you have that turned around, which I think we all know is possible um, if you're, you're drinking or if you're doing drugs, then it would be quite easy to get yourself in a tricky spot off the road or off the trail. Hello, nerds. Come listen to the History Nerds United podcast, and let's make history fun again. We interview today's best authors, whether they are established Pulitzer Prize winners or someone debuting their first book. Let us show you that history is not a boring class you took in high school, but a place where the best stories come from. And we don't just cover history. We also love to chat about true crime, biographies, memoirs, and so much more. So head on over to History Nerds United, and let us introduce you to your new favorite book and learn the story behind the story. History. United. 
Another prevalent theory or notion is that Ryan may have left Sun Peaks either by his own accord or forcefully the night he went missing. Adding to the suspicion around this theory of Ryan leaving Sun Peaks is that the night he went missing, the cameras that record cars coming in and out of Sun Peaks weren't working. Now, I spoke to the mayor of Sun Peaks about this, and he explained that there had been an ongoing technical problem with these cameras for weeks on end. It wasn't specific to that night. So as far as we know, the cameras weren't turned off for a nefarious purpose. However, it still begs the question, would Ryan have left Sun Peaks in the middle of the night after partying with friends and roommates? Um, people that are in, like, when people are partying at Sun Peaks, it's really, really, really uncommon for them to just take off and go to Kamloops. It's like an hour drive to get to anywhere where the parties would be in the winter, and it's snowy, and a lot of those seasonal staff don't have vehicles, or if they do have vehicles, they're not great winter vehicles that I think they feel comfortable driving to town. I would be really surprised if they wanted to continue the party. Um, I have heard theories that Ryan got mixed up in, you know, something bad or suspicious, and and someone came and, and took him or did something to him. But again, based on what I know about Ryan, from speaking with so many people who did know him, I don't think he would do that, but people can surprise you. To me, the most likely scenario of what happened to Ryan is that he left the party inebriated, became disoriented, and wandered into the woods. Now, I should clarify, when I talked to Heather, she did tell me that there are varying accounts of how intoxicated Ryan was. Some say he was heavily intoxicated, others say just slightly. Regardless, I think it's pretty fair to say that anyone who doesn't know the area super well and has maybe had a few drinks and maybe even done some drugs could get disoriented, especially at night, in the dark, and in the woods. To me, there's not a lot of other theories that make sense, other than that he left Sun Peaks, but we don't have any evidence of that. I find it hard to fathom that if Ryan did wander into the woods, though, how come he hasn't been found? But as Gene and others on the podcast have pointed out, the geography and topography of Sun Peaks is a search party's nightmare. I think it's really hard to accept that you wouldn't be able to find someone's body in a community like this unless you yourself go to any of the streets, first you'll drive or the other, and walk a couple of meters, not even into the bush, and understand how unruly it is that it's not something that you can easily walk through and see all of the ground and there's logs down and bushes and gullies and holes and and tree wells and all sorts of stuff that could especially at this point when it would be not a body but remains and remains that would very much likely blend in with their surroundings in terms of the colors, I think it would be really easy to miss. And I think there's been cases all over um, different rural areas, all over the world, really, where people have gone missing in the woods on a hike in very similar terrain, and it's been proven that their bodies are found, you know, nine or even ten plus years later. And sometimes right in plain sight, just off a hiking trail, but for whatever reason, the foliage was hiding it for that long, or no one took a step or looked at the right angle to see exactly where it was. 
The disappearance of Ryan, as we've seen, has had a monumental impact on his family and friends. But it's also had an impact on the community of Sun Peaks and the people who reside there. For Gene, it's the vision of Ryan's father, Scott, digging through the snowbanks, looking for his son that she can't seem to get out of her head. It was very strange to go from living in a place where you may maybe naively feel like you're in a bit of a bubble and that you're very protected. You know, you can say, oh, I'm not in Kamloops, I'm in a ski resort and everyone here is happy and everyone here is partying on the weekends and having fun. And then to have that reality suddenly facing you every day, you're driving to work and watching groups of people out on snowshoes. And you're like, oh, right, they're looking for Ryan. Or you're driving to work and watching Ryan's father with a piece of equipment digging through every single snowbank in the community. That's one of my most vivid memories is just the emotional impact of watching a father look for his son by digging through every frozen snowbank one by one and they're high they're big snowbanks in the winter and he went through every single one of them and then when you were after that even though you're not seeing him digging you're seeing those dug up snowbanks oh, there's another reminder that something's happened that one of our community members is still missing and we don't know why or later on in the season you would see a woman hosing down a snowbank to try and just get it to melt faster so that she could see if Ryan's body was in there. And I think everyone who lives here that saw those day after day, it impacted hugely emotionally because you couldn't really escape it when you're living here. And then there was another aspect of people who have lived here for years and years and who are well-respected and have a lot of friends who are good people that I will vouch for personally being um, criticized online by people who live across the country or sometimes not even in Canada because they were in the background of a photo that was taken of Ryan that night and someone thought they looked suspicious or because someone from Ontario said they had a dream that this other person from Sun Peaks did it even though they've never been to Sun Peaks and they've never met any of these people. And these people clearly had nothing to do with it. And I think that really put people on edge, that attention from random people online, but also all the media attention, asking what was going on in Sun Peaks. People felt um, a little bit attacked, I think. And that made some people get a bit defensive or feel a bit defensive, especially while this was all very fresh. Um, like a couple of months after Ryan first went missing. I think those first initial few months were difficult for the community. And like I said, people kind of had their backs up. But I think in the time since you've seen, like we've seen whenever there's a tragedy in our community, people really do pull together. And I think one of the ways that's really demonstrated is the way that people have pulled together around Ryan's family, specifically his parents and his sisters when they come up. If you ask Heather, she'll tell you that this is one of the places where she feels at home, where she doesn't feel like people are judging her or treating her differently, like when she walks into a restaurant or a store, because really it was this collective traumatic experience that 
everyone who was living here at the time went through alongside that family. We all lived it with them in our own way. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And a couple years out, we're at the point, I think, where, you know, people will joke about it or, and it's not in them. It's not in a mean way. I think it's, an, it's a way that people are coping with it in some, in, in some ways. That, you know, it's been two years and they went through this horrible thing together. And at the very least, some people want to have a laugh about it. But I think for the most part, it's brought people together. I don't think it's impacted the community in that people still party. People still have the same party types of parties that Ryan was at that night. He went missing. The bars still have their scene nights. I don't think people are more afraid to walk home by themselves or walk home with a group of friends in the winter or anything like that. And I don't know if that lack of change is a good thing or a bad thing. From the moment Ryan's disappearance became public, a frenzy of media descended upon Sun Peaks and the Stuka family. For the most part, the coverage was welcomed by Heather and those involved in the search can be really hard for some families to get the public to care about their missing loved ones. But there's also a flip side to so much attention and media coverage. Some of it, based on incorrect facts, fueled inaccurate or heightened false speculation about Ryan's disappearance. That first year especially, there was a lot of ongoing coverage because there was a lot of hard news. Things like search and rescue is here, RCMP is here, they're searching with drones before it transitioned to more the impact stories, talking to his roommates and his family. But when we were still in that first year and we still really had the national attention, sometimes even international attention, one thing that stood out to me as a huge lesson of the importance of local journalism was seeing how, as the story spread further and got to larger publications and stations, certain facts were missed, sometimes small ones, um, what he was wearing, his height or his weight. And... It wasn't because they're bad journalists, but it's because there's so much knowledge and context that you gain from being that person on the ground and you develop the direct connections to those involved. There was one story published later on about that told about a man who said he heard shouting that night and one person who was yelling at someone to get in the car, which when it came out seemed crazy. How had this never come out before? A lot of people really latched onto that fact as piece of information that was going to really help solve this case. So it seemed like a really big revelation. But then when I found that man, 
I found out that his home is actually, you know, kind of a 20-minute walk from the party. The timing of when he heard it that night didn't really match up with anything that we knew for sure about what where Ryan had been and what he had been doing. And it's not because that reporter was a bad reporter. It's because they weren't here and they couldn't go talk to that man. They didn't have the context to know that this home is far or how far one home is from a certain complex or which way people would walk to get there. But I do just because I'm here and I spend my life here every day. As time has gone on, the story and facts of Ryan's disappearance hasn't changed. Jean says whenever she can, she finds a new angle or narrative to write about Ryan to help keep his case in the public eye. I think as the last two years have passed, our coverage, like I mentioned, has definitely shifted from that hard news, who's here, who's searching, how many people are searching, where are they searching, all that stuff, to the impacts. So this February for the second anniversary, I wrote um, a piece about Heather specifically and how it's impacted her. And we had this beautiful <laughs> like three-hour interview talking and it ended up being talking about her and how she was doing with everything and, and how it affected me and how I was doing with everything. And that was really beautiful. And I think less for myself and more because of the connections that I've built with his family and friends over the last couple of years because I've been covering it so in depth. That anniversary really made me feel for them more than anything else. And it was frustrating to know that I was here the day he was reported missing and somewhat we, we somewhat broke that news and I'm not able to give that clean ending that answer as to what happened. Like, I can't report anything close to that and I don't know if or when I ever will be able to report that but I would hope that one day, even if I have moved on from Sun Peaks and I'm living somewhere else, I'll be able to read a future Sun Peaks news reporter, be able to close that chapter, be able to close this story and give the family the closure that they need and also the community, give the community the answers to the questions that come up but are especially prevalent every, every year on that anniversary. As many of you probably know, Ryan's disappearance became very popular on social media, in part because Heather was so proactive in setting up a Facebook page and engaging people in discussion. But when cases become so popular on the internet and on social media, speculation tends to run amok in both the comments and messages that go back and forth in these groups. Insensitivity often ensues, and this can really take a toll on those close to the case and on the ground but also people with no connection to the story or to the family or to the resort who never even knew what Sun Peaks was before who were suddenly deeply involved in this case and wanting to be involved and wanting to solve it, which is commendable. But a lot of those people turned a very critical eye to people in the community, but also those close to Ryan. So, for example, one of his roommates, a while after Ryan went missing, took a weekend off to go snowboarding in a different resort. A lot of people do that. People come to Sun Peaks, but they also want to ski Revelstoke and Red and go to all these other mountains. But these people who were online with really no connection 
saw that because he posted about it online and we're trying to connect him to un- completely unrelated missing person person cases in the resort where he was or missing person cases on Vancouver Island. They were saying that, you know, he must have something to do with it if he left because if he cared about Ryan, he would have stayed. Or they're looking at, you know, this friend of Ryan's isn't Facebook friends with this roommate of Ryan's, so there must be some drama between them, and maybe there was a fight at the party, which is just very far-fetched. Like, there's no proof for any of it, but to them, that was reality. And they were messaging and harassing, really, anyone they could find on social media that had a connection to Ryan without any letting up. I had never seen people with literally no connection to the story at all become so passionately involved and going as far as coming after his friends with no proof at all. And that same very critical eye was turned to his family, especially Heather, I think because she really became that unofficial spokesperson as she drew attention to the search. And the same people who were harassing his friends and sometimes going as far as accusing them of murder would criticize Heather publicly for the slightest, tiniest thing that they perceived she did wrong. For example, if she got her eyelashes done or did something for herself, they were posting that she must not actually care about her son or she wouldn't be doing things for herself to look after herself while this was happening. And when Ryan first went missing, she couldn't physically go out and search because she had just had a surgery. She physically could not go and walk in the snow, but they were criticizing her saying, if it was my kid that was missing, it wouldn't stop me, and she doesn't care or anything like that. Or over a year later, she, she takes a trip to visit family somewhere else. People come after her saying, how could she ever leave that area when her child is still missing? But other people are asking her when she comes to some people, why are you still coming to look? You know, like, why do you bother coming up here? And she built this beautiful following, which brought her so much support and new friends. And searchers came from literally all over the world. But that reach her voice had also drew this really disgusting contingent of armchair critics, which I've never seen from another story I've reported on before. Not all speculation is bad speculation. On the Ryan Facebook page, there's lots of people offering really good advice and asking really good questions that Heather looks into. But as Heather and everyone else has pointed out on this podcast, there isn't any new evidence to suggest what could have happened to Ryan. And yet, Heather still gets insensitive messages from people spouting crazy theories about things that could have happened to Ryan based on virtually no facts. Again, if you were to to look at the people that um, have joined case discretion groups or anything along that lines, I mean, they will come up with all sorts of things that, you know, Ryan was a huge drug dealer and, you know, was quite on the scenes in Kamloops. I'm like, that's that's great. I mean, he he would barely be on the phone talking uh, to his bank to discuss a problem. I would have to help him navigate through that. So you're telling me that he, he can't do that. He doesn't want to go to school for the very first time by himself. At university, I'm going to come with him to do the walkthrough, but he can set up himself as as the drug dealer to jour 
in Kamloops. It's just, you know, and, and his bank account has, has no um, comings and goings that would, that would reflect that. Um, he didn't know anybody in Kamloops. They only went down once or twice probably to get food when they do the food run on the Saturday and Sunday just because everything was so expensive up there. Other than that, he really had no contact down in, in Kamloops. So I can't imagine him leaving, but if someone took him down to the party, I can't imagine someone not coming forward and saying, well, we went down, but he decided to stay or I decided to leave or whatever. Nothing has ever come forth. And and there's not even, like, there's the gossip that comes from people that didn't know him and um, weren't either there or weren't at the party or weren't in, in Sun Peaks. That There's that kind of gossip. But there's no gossip from people in the Sun Peaks. And if you're, you're I mean, even if you talk to Jean Strong, she's of that generation, that age group, um, and knows a lot of, if you want to call them players in, in this whole scenario, she knows quite a few of them. And a lot of them still live in the Sun Peaks area. There's been nothing, not at staff of calm. There's like, I, we don't even get seventh hand gossip. Like I heard somebody said that this person, that this person, but he was there like nothing. It's like complete silence from the time that, they think that he could have left until now. We've had nothing come forward. Despite the occasional shocking message or comment that Heather receives, the Missing Ryan Facebook page is a really supportive community. With thousands of members and almost a new post about Ryan every day, the group has helped keeping the memory of Ryan alive. Heather is the first to admit She hasn't done everything perfectly when it's come to searching for her son, but she refuses to let any past shortcomings dictate her mission to bring her son, Ryan, home. It it was really difficult um, because you do take it personally in the beginning. Uh, And and we had set up Ryan's Facebook where we were, um, once we got into it, um, understanding, you know, I had somebody post on there, you know, Ryan's being kept in a basement and he's being harvest harvested for his organs. And you're just, you're in, you're in shock. Like the fact that somebody would put that uh, on a page where the family could read that and, and not care uh, and probably get some sort of thrill that they would uh, put something on there that um, cut um, deeply. Uh, but of all the horrors that we have to have, I will never say that Scott and I are victim or our families are victims. I will never use that term when, when describing us. However, the things that happen to families, not just Scott and I, but families of missing people in general, is there's senses of violations that happen, that people feel like it's okay, um, either through ignorance or through just um, um, perhaps uh, being slightly insensitive and not understanding that that a question like that could hurt. Now, in that case, that person was just out to actually harm um, harm us in any way that they, they could. But once I we I settled into that, and that sort of became the 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 task that I had for Ryan. Scott was out searching. This was something I could physically do: is to make the posts. Um, uh, greet every volunteer that came in and to manage the Facebook page. We set it up so that your posts had to be approved and we set it up so that um, 
and I, and I'm and I will always stand by this. I don't. People will say, "Well, you're you're not allowing speculation. If you allowed speculation, then we might be able to solve this." There's a lot of things that I know about missing people's cases, or missing person cases, um, that you know some people will will turn to prayer, and and you will pray that you will get an answer. Some people will search and they will search until until they have nothing left in them, and that will get them. You know, some people um, uh, will contact intuitive people or mediums to get that answer. Hire private investigators, all of those things. And some of them may work. I, I have no idea what the percentage of them working. But I think the percentage of somebody sitting at home, having not known the family, having not known the area, have not have intimate details of the actual events that have led up to it or have since occurred after the chances of them solving the mystery by sitting at home on behind their keyboard and writing based on speculation is probably pretty slim. It's just that's the reality. You might come up with a, a like the brother-in-law did it, like when we all read the dateline um, and they post all that. Oh, I think the brother-in-law did. I, the husband is the first to, to. We might eventually be correct, but that's only because the law of probability. So we shut that down and said, look, you know, if you want to create speculation, if, if that's what you, you want to do, I, I congratulate you on being passionate and engaged. But this is not the forum for it on this particular one, only because it's not that I can't handle it anymore. I've, I, it's not that I'm desensitized to it, um, but it, it, I, I sort of compartmentalize that. That is separate um, for what I have to, to, to do in order to bring Ryan home. However, I do have a 14-year-old that will eventually end up going onto Facebook and reading it. I do have a 20-year-old that looks on it. My parents are in their 70s, so are Scots. We have family and friends that look that. Is that, is that the image? Is, is that the remembrance and memories of Ryan that they need to have? Is someone talking um, about his art, uh, organs being harvested? Absolutely not. And so I will stand by the decision to not let speculation happen in that. And I'll shut it down and I will I will either respond to that person or I will uh, delete it. And I have no problems doing that. I make no apologies. I may not be doing this missing person case to the best of anybody else's estimation, but it, it is what I know. And at the end of the day, the failings that we have had, our shortcomings, um, the mistakes and the missteps that we have, I will shoulder that all myself. Don't don't make any mistake about that. I will shoulder all of that blame and responsibility. Nobody else has to give it to me. I will feel it above anybody else's um, uh, comments or criticisms. This is my son. Like, I, There's nobody that wants him home more than I do. And I know that we haven't done anything, but I don't know what manual there is out there. I, we did the best that we've, we, we could. We still continue to try to do the best that we can, knowing that our hearts are in the right place um, and, and that we, we, we want to do right by our son. We're getting close to the end of the episode. And with that, we're getting close to the end of Ryan's series. That said, if new information comes out, I will definitely do another episode in the future, but at the moment, I have to move on to another case. Before I finish, I want to thank everyone who let me interview them for this series. 
I also want to thank you, the listener, for sharing Ryan's story and spreading it across the globe. Mostly, I want to thank Heather. As you've probably garnered from listening to this and previous episodes, it takes a lot of courage to talk about something so personal and emotional, and I think I speak for most listeners when I say, Heather, you are an incredibly strong woman and mother. Thank you so much for sharing your memories, and I hope we find Ryan and bring him home soon. When I first started looking into the disappearance of Ryan Stuka online, I constantly came across pictures of green dinosaurs. If you've gone on the Facebook page and gone through the photos, they're everywhere. I had no idea what the correlation was between Ryan and green dinosaurs. So when I did my interview with Heather, I of course had to ask her about it. Yeah, it's, it honestly started innocently. My very first post um, that I did uh, three days after Ryan had been missing, everybody kept going on to this Facebook group that was newly created. And, um, you know, they kept saying, is there any word? Is there any word? Is there any word? And so all the time I was just getting notifications from that. And so I just wanted to put out something like, we, we haven't found him, but not through lack of trying, not through lack of effort, not through lack of volunteers, um, any of that. And so I just, here's the thing, probably about three weeks prior to Ryan being missing, I was scrolling through Facebook and there was I, I, some sort of, I, it was a newspaper article or something about this young man that went missing from a party. Um, and uh, they hadn't found him. And then the update, they had found him a day or two later, passed out, had frozen in the snow. And it's eerie when you think about it now, um, but I, I, I distinctly remember it. And I just remember going, oh, that is, that is so sad. That's terrible. And of course, people's comments under that, well, you know, that's what you get for drinking and partying and you don't know, like some, you know, people will just be judgmental in the comments that were coming from it. And I didn't, they didn't really talk about the boy, the young man that went missing you know just his parents are like we're saddened by this and and all of that and I just you know I, I felt sad I felt empathy for the moment and then I moved on and then I didn't think about this man again I couldn't even tell you what his name is now um be, because as as much of an impression it left at the time that fades and so I just remember that came to me the three days is that I wanted Ryan to be known for more than just a young man that was drinking too much at a party and wandered away in the in the cold and succumbed to the the temperatures, and so the the purpose of the post was, you know, I could tell you that he was loved. Well, I imagine anybody would say that about their their child, uh, you know, that he was bright and funny and you know perfect and and all the rest of the stuff. Those are those are just words. Those are just adjectives that you can describe a person. I wanted you to know and try to get some feeling into who he was. And so I told a story, the one that I always remember with this, this child, you know, when he was younger, he loved dinosaurs, every single one. And the game used to be in the morning, he'd climb into bed and he'd sit there and go, mommy. I'm like, yes, Ryan, Uh, let's talk about, and there'd be this huge pause. Like, like I had no idea what was coming. Like maybe it's ice cream flavors. Maybe it, nope. I always knew it was coming. He'd wait long time, this expectant pause. And he's like, let's talk about dinosaurs. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. 
so then he would list and he would say, okay, what has a long neck and is a plant eater? Um, and he'd say something, and I'm like, okay, an apatosaurus. And he's like, nope. And I'm like, ooh, a long neck. That's not a real name. And you're like, okay. And then he's like, it's a diplodocus. And I'm like, okay. And then it'll be my turn. And it was every single day. Got to the point where Scott and I started running out because I'm like a long neck. Like I don't, I, we were trying to watch land before time at this point in time with the dinosaurs. And so we, he was 18 months to, he loved him till maybe five. And so this was a game all the time. Scott and I had to actually get and take out books from the library on dinosaurs, so I could I could learn the names of them, and so I just wanted to. to so the the post was really like, this is my son. He wanted to play. So Ryan, wherever you find yourself today, let's talk about dinosaurs, and that was the post. And then after that, um, one of the girls that Jordan had danced with, and she went to high school with Ryan. She made the green ribbons, and she was selling the green ribbons at the high school. And so she had did a post on it, and she said, I'm making them green in in the color of Ryan's favorite, um, his, his favorite um, animal, I guess, um, as a child, which was a green, uh, was a dinosaur. And from that, it just spiraled. And so everything is uh, dinosaur-related. And, and I laugh. I'm, I'm grateful, I, you know, uh, but I laugh because I sit there and go, Gosh, if, you know, and I remember laughing the first couple of days. I'm like, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, my God. If Ryan were to walk in right now, he'd be like, dinosaurs, really, Mom? Like, that's how you're defining me is by dinosaurs? And and that's really what it is. And I remember doing a post a couple of weeks later about him in high school, his last year in high school, wearing um, a sexy kitty costume. I was like, well, you're lucky I didn't start with that, um, that story because everything could have been black and sexy kitty everywhere. So, but, but yeah, so that's the dinosaur. That's where it, it came from. And then, you know, I remember uh, doing the one year, two year, uh, no, one year anniversary last year and saying that maybe that's the point of the dinosaur because they lived a long, long time ago. And yet um, there's still a fascination and they still lived on in the memory of people today that they're still talked about. They're still revered. There's still um, people are in awe of them, and so maybe that's that's the whole point is that um, Ryan will long be remembered um, after Scott and I have are no longer here. That um, that people will look at him in the same sort of awe, and he will create a legacy that the way the dinosaurs did, maybe. If you know anything about Ryan's disappearance, I urge you to contact Kamloops RCMP at 250-828-3000 and quote file number 2019-5071. You can also leave an anonymous tip if you call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS or submit your tip online to kamloopscrimestoppers.ca. Thanks for listening to a podcast for the missing with me. Tyler Hooper.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.